ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. There are many great leading roles in the history of opera in La Traviata, La Boheme, Tosca, Carmen. But how many people can claim to have starred on stage at the Sydney Opera House as a Fijian backpacker? in an Opera Australia <laughs> production. That is one of the many diverse parts of the career of Celeste Lazarenko. Celeste, oh, welcome hello. to Overnight. Oh, thanks for having me. Wow. Um, yes, many varied incarnations I've had to play of different things over the years. How do you get into the role <laughs> of Fijian backpacker, do you reckon? Oh, I guess. You know, it was quite interesting because we had Wendy Whiteley sort of floating around sometimes. So it was interesting to ask her some questions now and again. But guess yes, we should point to... out that this was in the opera Whiteley about the life of Brett Whiteley, and he and Wendy spent some time in Fiji, and that's what you were doing, playing the role of backpacker. That's Fiji correct. Backpacker. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> What's it like then to be there at the creation of an opera? Because some of these operas have been around for hundreds of years, of course. But Whiteley was a new production. And you were there at the very start. What's that like? Yeah, that's correct. So we were working with Elena, um, Elena Katschernan, I should say. She was always in the room. So it was also interesting to see her sort of piece together uh, and also write for us, which was a really great experience. I mean, it's, it's one thing to kind of pick up a piece that's a couple of hundred years old and try and put your stamp on it. But it's another to kind of have something formed, especially for you. It's a very lovely creation. At what stage in the production are you part of it? Are you there from the start or are you brought in after most of it's written and they've then cast it? You're saying that Elena Katz-Chernan, the, uh, the composer, she was writing for you. How does that work? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of both. I think she comes in with ideas and snippets and then it's kind of formed around your abilities. And actually, weirdly, you know, weirdly... Mozart, when he was writing Adomineo, which is the, the show that I'm currently in and, and singing Ilya in, um, Mozart has had his pick of singers as well, and he didn't actually write the arias until he arrived um, in Munich uh, and got to meet the singers. And so he was kind of composing things on the fly as well for them, and especially, especially for their specific voice types. But he was Mozart. He could do that, couldn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's pretty amazing. Mm. He did recycle a lot of stuff. I mean, if you, it, it, Domineo is amazing because it uh, is such beautiful music, and uh, there's a lot of familiarity with things like his concert arias and other snippets that he'd he'd written previously. You'll find a lot of returning ideas, and even in Domineo, there is a piece of music that he then recycles later in Marriage of Figaro. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's it's just amazing stuff. He's he's very clever, and the fact that he can even quote himself is quite remarkable. Yeah, he's kind of the Andrew Lloyd Webber of his day, isn't he, for recycling? <laughs> oh, no, no, okay. don't don't even compare. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But the thing is, I suppose, of course, he's going to recycle. If he likes what he's doing, yeah, just use it again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this would have been all completely fresh new music as well, and and quite revolutionary. I mean, if you listen. Um, to bits of a domino, he actually does this kind of through writing where he won't uh, let applause happen at the end of an aria. He just will keep yes. composing through. Um, so he was using all kinds of new techniques um, and even new variations of uh, different 
numbers in orchestras and different instruments in orchestras at this time as well. So really quite revolutionary stuff. This current production, Idomeneo by Mozart, the opera itself has not been produced here, certainly by Opera Australia, for more than 20 years. How would you describe it? It's a very, I'd say, minimalist production of it, isn't it? Sure. And I guess it's Lindy Hume has been... um, She's the so director. amazing to work with, um, yeah, and she's the director of the opera. But it, it and she's also created curated this season's um, works. So on one hand, you have Magic Flute, um, which has all of those sort of ideals of the Enlightenment about order and balance and truth, um, and so does a Domineo. But I guess it, it contains more gravitas, and it's in, it's sort of given to you in a more serious way. We were very keen to look very closely at the text. And and Lindy's right in that there have been different versions of this opera, but I think when you start to pick apart the text a bit more, um, you start to see that even my character, Ilya, isn't a victim of circumstance. This is about individuals deciding their own fates. And that's exactly what flute is like as well. It's that if you stick to these enlightenment ideals of truth and beauty and balance, that the individual uh, will be rewarded for their merits and that the gods won't interfere with that. Mm. But the minimalist aspect of it is about the set decoration, the design, even down to the costumes. For people who are familiar to going to operas like La Traviata or La Boheme that are lavish productions, they're not going to get it with this, are they? No, because you're going to hear it in the music instead. I think the the stripping away of of um, a lot of those kind of frills means that you can really get to the core and the essence of this storytelling. And, you know, one of the really important themes of this opera, which Lindy was trying to get across to us, is there are, you know, millions of refugees at the moment. There is There are wars breaking out around the world. This is, this is a story about war, about conflicts between um, countries and ways that we can resolve them. And I I think Lindy was trying to get to the seriousness of that idea. And this is set in ancient Greece, sort of, well, on on Crete. Yes, that's right. This is after the Trojan Wars. So Ilya, who is my character, has escaped. She's a, a Trojan princess has escaped these wars and lost her entire family because of it and is now being held captive by Idomeneo, the king of Crete, and his son, Idomante. And she is being held prisoner and then is finally released uh, into the world of Crete um, and kind of fancies the pants off Mm. off, uh, Idomante, the younger prince. Oh, dear. And that's where the <laughs> drama and excitement happens. And yes, there's yeah. death, there's blood, there's a sea monster, which is unusual right. in an opera. And there is kind of a happy ending for you anyway. Yeah, well, I don't want to spoil it, no. you know. No. Uh, you'll have to come and see the show to to understand how everything resolves. Um, but definitely, Ilya is a very powerful character within the fates of everyone within Crete. Mm. And, uh, yeah, you have to come and see how it all resolves itself. Celeste Lazarenko is currently starring in Idomeneo at uh, the Opera House for Opera Australia. The chorus 
that is the other people, not the leads. They're very prominent mm. in this production. What is the connection between them and you as one of the leads, especially as you were in the chorus for quite a while? That's right. I am still in the chorus. I am still officially a full-time chorus member. And actually the chorus have a really big part to play in this opera. They have a lot uh, to contribute, uh, not just musically, but uh in terms of the storytelling. Um, and I do work full-time as a chorus member uh, with Opera Australia. And then I, they very graciously let me step out and do some big roles as well. So I'm really fortunate because then I get a balance of, uh, you know, working full-time as a singer, which is actually a very privileged to be in, especially yes. with the state of the world at the moment. Exactly. You know, and when you look at ENO and all these companies, you know, which are really struggling, I mean, being a full-time artist is a very rare thing. So I am very gracious of that um, situation. Yeah, and then I can go off and, and Opera Australia um, have been so supportive in letting me go off and just do my other stuff. And they even let me go off and do, you know, oratorio work and early music work and all this other kind of stuff, which I think makes me a more rounded performer and keeps me interested in things. Well, you have had a very, very diverse career. We'll get to that in a moment. But in the <laughs> chorus, how do you make yourself noticed by people who are then casting lead roles in shows like this one, which is a major production. And does everyone in the chorus dream of being out the front or are some of them just happy to have a career in the chorus? I think it's a very mixed bag of people. I mean, look, we are so fortunate in Australia. There are so many talented singers and there are so many people within that chorus who would gladly and would love to step out and do other um, principal work. And then there's some who would more than happy just being with an ensemble and being a soloist and being part of a chorus are, are similar skills, but definitely within the chorus, we have a very strong sense of uh, being able to work together and understanding each other's needs and being part of an organism. And I guess stepping out of that requires a, a bolder choice. But uh, look, we're just so lucky in this country. There are so many amazing singers. And um, I know that I am very happily working with some of um, the best singers in the country and mm. by far one of the best opera choruses in the world. But you've done a lot of choral work. You've done a lot of concert work as well mm -hmm. beyond just kind of acting on the stage. But are you playing a role in those shows as well? When you are singing, not having to act, as it were, if you're just performing in a concert, are you playing a role there as well? Definitely. There's definitely characters within that all the time. You're never alone on those stages. You've got hundreds of people behind you playing instruments or singing in choruses. So, like, you're definitely part of a world and you have to try and cooperate within that world, I guess. We mentioned that you've been in a lot of things. Like, you are there singing oratorio. You are singing singing for your supper and various other places as well. But then you're on the main stage at the Opera House and then you're in something like Wagner's Ring Cycle as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, that's pretty big. Chamber operas. Yeah. What's the difference mostly? I know the size is a big difference and maybe the money that can be put into some of these, but the difference between a chamber opera and the ring cycle, is it 
in the preparation? Is the preparation all the same? Tell me about the differences and the similarities between two things like that. Sure. I mean, I guess, look, preparation is preparation regardless. Um, I, I want to be as prepared as I possibly can for everything. Um, and I try and set aside time to actually make sure that that preparation is correct. I guess working on something like the ring cycle, you have to acknowledge that you're a very small cog in a very big machine and that what you think is important, you're just one of the many hundreds of people singing on that stage um, who are also important. And I think being a team player, I think in that aspect is really important. Um, but then doing something like, like last year, I did Love Why Men with uh, Sydney Chamber Opera. It's a Poulenc piece and it is written for a character called Elle. It's a one woman uh, kind of show and that is sort of a 45 minute piece. Yeah. And that can be very intimate and you're very close to the audience. They can pick up on the nuances of everything um, very carefully. So it it kind of is sculpted out. Uh, very carefully because the audience are, are close. They can they can read every single detail that you're putting into it. And so it has to be detailed. Um, and I guess something like the ring cycle, you have to realise that there is a bigger scope. It's a bigger theatre. People are further away. Um, the, yeah. There's a grandiose uh, element to it. Do you ever forget the words? I mean, these are very intricate productions. What happens if a mistake is made? <laughs> you've done it now no i know it's going to happen I've, oh i feel terrible um, now now next time if it ever happens you'll think <sighs> no i guess you have to i guess you just have to realize that you're not aiming for perfection Ooh. i think this is one thing that singers really um get caught up on a performance is not aiming for the perfection of it it's surviving it because you've already done the work you Mm -hmm. have to re like so much of singing is about trust right there really has to be a point where you have to say to yourself i've done this for the last two months non-stop and you know i i've worked so hard to get here that if i like for example sing through the whole show before i go on stage it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a great show you know it's just that there has to be a point uh, where a singer really has to go, I've done the work on this. And that actually, yeah, perfection is not what I'm after. I'm after touching an audience, of, of letting them hear the sound and just sort of be part of a story. And if that is what you're concentrating on, you concentrate less on the perfectionism of things like words and blocking and all that kind of stuff and that you actually focus more on what, the audience are there to see, you know, they, they yeah. don't, they won't really know if there yes, is a slight exactly. mistake here or there, to yeah. be honest. And yeah. you've got to forgive yourself for that. That's the other thing. Yeah. You've got to forgive yourself every day. I used to know a singer who would go home and write down all of the mistakes that they'd made in the show that night before. And I wouldn't dare do that because I have to learn to forgive whatever I've done the day before is I'm going to forgive myself for it. And then I'm just going to move on. Because I think if you dwell on those problematic things, you're just going to get in the way of yourself. Celeste Lazarenko is our guest. Now, I can imagine, though, that all that work is done, 
you can actually go out on stage and enjoy yourself. Or are you able to? Are you able to relax and enjoy that show? It's a very long show in this particular case and even longer when it comes to the ring cycle. But some of them, as you say, with some of those uh, uh, chamber operas or the ones where you are just performing by yourself, they're much, much shorter. But can you just relax and enjoy yourself? Relax and enjoying is a scary state to be in. I noticed this with actually being in the chorus sometimes because sometimes you can, you know, after you've done a show maybe 30 times that you can just switch off. Mm. And that's a really dangerous state to be in because once you start getting to that point, you're not really concentrating. So there's always an element in some way of being sort of on and that being on doesn't necessarily mean there's a sense of enjoying. I find the enjoying comes after like after you've come off stage and that you you feel like you've done a good job. I I, I think enjoyment is a really hard word to use in performing because, yeah, of course there's elements of enjoying, but it's not all enjoyable. And if you're just doing the job to enjoy it, I think um, that's where you'll get tripped up because you won't find it enjoyable all the time. It can be hard. It can be confusing and hard and you can struggle with certain things and um, I think if you aim to enjoy it all the time, you're probably not going to be very satisfied. Mm. Now, you have studied, you have two degrees, three degrees, I think. You've got a degree from the Conservatorium in Sydney. You've got one from the Guildhall in London. You've got a degree in painting from Sydney University. Mm -hmm. I was actually, you know, when I, when I was in high school, I was a very talented painter as well. As well as being a singer, I started very young and was in the children's chorus at the opera company from a very young age. And, um, yeah, I thought I would be a painter. I was, I was very skilled at painting. I went to City College of the Art. And it was at a time, unfortunately, where painting was just not very cool. And actually, I've spoken to Ben Quilty about this because I'm a big fan of his work. Mm. And... Um, yeah, he's saying he experienced the same thing uh, around the same time. It was just unfortunately at a time when I went to uni, it was super uncool to be a painter. And um, I've never so, known that time. I mean, I'm a, I don't paint. I enjoy art, of course. But when was it not cool to be a painter? Because uh, well, if I you oh come on, if you've got the skill <laughs> to be a painter, quite seriously, it is a massively impressive thing to do that you can do a quick sketch and it looks exactly like someone, or you do a beautiful landscape or something. I, I find that one of the coolest things in the world. Yeah, you'd think that, but like when I was when I was at art college, you know, Jeff Koons and Tracy Ammon and all these mm. all these sort of anti artists yeah. were super cool. And they were like, you know, I remember going and seeing an exhibition by Damien Hurst at the Contemporary Gallery here. And like he had, the artwork was just basically a row of cigarette butts. Yeah, that's and not my, art. That's I, I remember my, my art teacher just losing her mind going, this is like the greatest thing I've ever seen. Oh, no. And then I would come in and I would bring, you know, a sketch or something like that. And they would literally tell me, if you want to do stuff like that, then you should go into illustration because we're not interested in that kind of stuff here. Well, they'd rather have cigarette butts or sharks and formaldehyde or giant oversized oh, yeah. puppies yeah, made that out was, of flowers. That was, that, that was very much the cool thing at the time. And, like, I just – I was there kind of a, a, at, a, at a wrong time and I was a very talented painter and I really didn't paint again until a couple of years ago where I went back to the Paddington Art School oh, yes. and I did like an intensive uh, colour theory uh, painting class 
and I tried painting again and I did it for a few days and then I I got ripped apart by that teacher as well <laughs> and then I just remember being there with the paintbrush in my hand and just crying and just going I just don't want to do this anymore this is just too much I think the critical aspect of painting where I just hated everything I was doing I mean maybe things will be different when I get older and I can paint pick up a paintbrush again and then maybe I will feel like you know, I find I, this incredible. I, like, if you have the skill <laughs> of being a painter, you need to share that with the world. And surely doing sketches of your cast members, fellow cast members, of, or of venues that you've played in, or when you have a complete collection of that or something, that's what you have the ability to do. And then you can paint them as well as sketch them. I, I can't believe that if you've got this beautiful, fabulous ability, you're not doing it. Yeah, look, one day I think I'll pick it up again. I tried during COVID, actually, but I also find painting quite an isolating thing. I, I yeah. you know, you have, you're just sort of stuck inside for hours and hours, and I'd rather be outside in, in the fresh air and, like, walking around, and I... Well, you can paint on plein air. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, but, yeah, look, one day I think I'll pick it up again when I'm not quite so critical of myself and maybe oh, when I look wow. back at my time in the theatre... So many beautiful magic moments of being in the wings, especially in the opera house where the wing space, as we all know, is very small. And just seeing my fellow colleagues, you know, all just waiting to go on stage, it's really beautiful to watch. Just a very serene, gorgeous, like the lighting state is very cool and, Mm. you know, you just catch these little snippets of people in the dark. (laughs) But I would love to have the ability to paint or to draw. You have that ability. Mm. Did you specialise in anything? Landscapes, portraits, still lives? Um, I was very good at recreating, like doing quite semi-photographic painting, you know, those super real kind of painting right, stuff. Yes. I, I was able to do that. I was able to actually copy grandmasters and stuff like that as well. I had a great skill oh. at it. I felt like I could never really establish my own style of painting. Oh. I think some people have a great natural ability to come up with their own sense of style and that was something I think I never explored enough look one day I'm pretty sure I'll go back to it I'm just too busy as a singer at the moment I mean I'm last year was crazy I mean I I've never performed so much in all my life it almost killed me but um it was super enjoyable I wanted to see how far I could push myself to be honest and I think I push myself to the very extreme. So now I know what probably not to do and what not to say yes to. So I'm in a very fortunate position that I can now start selecting what I really want to do with my career and what kind of roles and uh, what kind of music I'm interested in. Yeah. Is there anything in your art that you're able to bring to your singing, do you think? Yeah, look, I mean, I guess an understanding of a world you know, when the designer comes in and explains, you know, kind of 18th century formats and and the design of the show and the way they want it to look, I, I guess I have a very good understanding of that. I ha- I'm a very visual person and um, I, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm very connected to all those designer elements. Yeah, I guess that I guess that helps with all of that stuff. And I guess, you know, reading about art and understanding art, especially contemporary art, gives me uh, an insight to performing art as well. I mean, they're not, they're not directly linked, 
but you know it, it's always good to have that kind of background research. You studied singing in Australia and in London. What were the similarities or the differences between the two, the way it's taught here and the way it's taught there? Oh, um, I guess being in, I went to the Guildhall in London, which is based in the Barbican Centre. And this is before the fancy refurb, by the way. It's when it was in quite the kind of, you know, natural 70s state that it was in, like quite decrepit. I guess the difference between the two is that you're in a much bigger pond of people, people who are flying in internationally who often, you know, were barely able to speak English. And it was really very insightful to be working with people from all around the globe and their different ways and takes on on understanding classical music. And I did want to ask about that. You're competing with singers from around the world. How do you make yourself stand out? I guess being as knowledgeable as you can about different styles. Being yourself. I mean, sometimes there's fads of singers in music. I was kind of around when Emma Kirkby and Barbara Bonney and uh, (laughs) they were um, literally floating around the Guildhall. And I remember Emma Kirkby once said to me, my dear, you sing far too operatically. And I took it as a great compliment (laughs) because I thought, oh. That's what you want to be, an opera singer. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, there's different fads in music as well. And that means please don't try and fit yourself into a fad. You've only got your own voice. As I say, you just got to stay in your own lane. You just got to concentrate on the music you're interested in uh, and just stay down that path. I mean, I am so lucky that like this is my 14th Mozart role. And I would not have dreamed that my little interest as a student going to the library and sitting there with the, the early scores of Mozart would one day become my career. Like, I'm so lucky I got to perform things like Lucia Silla in France and um, Finta Giardiniera in France. I sang La Finta Semplice at Guildhall. I'm so lucky I've just had so many experiences with Mozart that I just if I'd said to someone, oh, one day I would be performing Lucio they'd think I was out of my mind. Yeah, I, I'm just so lucky that I've been able to kind of somehow manifest um, <laughs> these fantastic roles for myself. Well, I'm sure skill comes into it as well. Celeste, thank you so much for your time uh, this morning, and we really appreciate it. And, uh, well, congratulations on your role in this show, Idomeneo, and uh, you know, good luck with what you're going to do next. Thank you so much, Rod. It's been lovely chatting to you. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.